0: The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. All right, we are continuing our character sketches series this morning. And uh, Pastor Josh kicked off the series with the character of Ruth, and he gave us a lot of things to think about, a lot of areas that we could grow in. And uh, in the message, he talked about how if we ever had another daughter, which we will not, or another son, but if you ever talked about, he talked about if we ever did, he would call her Ruth. He'd name her Ruth because she's such an incredible woman in scripture. Now, the woman that I'm going to be talking about today, you definitely don't want to name your daughter after this lady. She is one of the most evil, one of the most heartless, vile, selfish uh, people in all of Scripture. And besides that, her name is Herodias. So do not name your daughter Herodias. Everybody say Herodias. Herodias. Okay, we're going to look at her story in Mark chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles... Uh, open those up there. If you don't, you can you can follow along with me on the screen. Uh, but before we get into the story. I want to give you a little bit of her family history. Kind of go through the family tree. Okay, so Herod the Great. He was the Herod who tried to have baby Jesus killed. Who I'm no longer comfortable referring to as Herod the Great. So henceforth, we're going to refer to him as Herod the Jerk. Sound good? Okay, so Herod the Jerk, he had like 10 wives. He had about 14 kids, maybe more. And he had nine sons. Now these nine sons, four of them were named Herod because narcissistic, and he probably was having a hard time thinking of new names after all of these sons. But in uh, those nine sons, one of them was named Philip. Philip is that little one with a mustache up there. Okay, now Herodias was Herod the Jerk's granddaughter. Okay, the granddaughter. Now Herodias, she married one of Herod the Jerk's sons. She married Philip. If you're trying to figure out the connection there, that's her uncle, okay? Which, that's pretty gross, right? That's not a fun thing to think about, marrying your uncle. Uh, But uh, they they got married, yeah, gross face. And then (laughs) Philip and Herodias, they had a daughter named Salome, okay? Now at some point, Herodias was enticed by another male and she decided to leave Philip for, wait for it, another one of her uncles herod herod antipas is his name and uh she left him for her for her other uncle which if you think about it this is the half-brother of her ex-husband. So she's leaving her uncle for her other uncle, half-brother of her ex-husband. This is very like 1990s television. Ricky Lake would have loved this. Jenny Jones, Jerry Springer, this would have been right up their alley. My mom should not have left me home in the summer by myself. Um, Okay, so Herod Antipas, he illegally divorced his wife to be with Herodias. He left his wife. It was illegal to be with Herodias. And John the Baptist had a problem with that. JTB. Who was JTB? Who was John the Baptist? He was a legend. Camel hair wearing, locust and honey eating, uh, baptizer of Jesus, and hundreds, if not thousands. More. He was legendary. And his message was repentance. His the whole call of his ministry was to prepare people, to make ready the people for the Messiah. He was not seeker sensitive. He was not worried about offending anybody. He was very comfortable with calling people on their junk. Okay, look at an example of this just to see how John the Baptist rolled. Matthew 3, 7 through 10. When John realized that a lot of Pharisees and Sadducees were showing up for a baptismal experience, because it was becoming the popular thing to do, he exploded. Brood of snakes, what do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snake skins is going to make any difference? It's your life that must change, not your skin. John the Baptist was bold. And you may be thinking like, dang, Calm down, temper it back a little bit, John the Baptist. Like, where's the, where's the love in this? But listen to what Jesus had to say about John the Baptist. Matthew eleven eleven, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived. None is greater than John the Baptist. So John was strong in his convictions, and he hated sin. And so when he found out about Herod and Herodias and their illegal marriage, he called them out on it. And Herodias She didn't like that. She did not like being called on her sin. And that's where our story picks up in Mark chapter 6. Okay, look at this. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, it's against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John, and knowing he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. Now imagine asking for a favor, like Herodias asked uh, her her husband Herod for this favor, like I'll ask Josh for a favor, like, hey, will you do me a favor, will you get me a bottle of water when you're going into the kitchen? He's like, sure, but Herodias is like, hey, will you do me a favor, will you arrest and imprison John the Baptist, even though he's done nothing wrong, like he's making us look bad, I don't really like it, so would you just do me a favor, would you arrest him, and Herod he liked John the Baptist. He was definitely freaked out by like the camel hair and the boldness of this guy. But there was something about him that he liked. And yet he liked Herodias more because he granted her this favor. So he gets imprisoned, imprisoned, thrown in jail. Uh, but Herodias isn't happy with that. She wants him completely silenced. Look at verse 21. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. Now remember, this is Herod's stepdaughter. This is his niece, Salome. The king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to her. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. Now this must have been some dance. Herod is not just being sarcastic, he's not not talking figuratively, he is literally offering this girl half of the kingdom. So what does she do? Well, she doesn't want to blow it, like this is a big decision, so she leaves to go seek counsel, like somebody help me, I don't know what to ask for, what should I ask for, what should I do? I, I need some guidance here. Who does she turn to? She turns to, look at verse 24. And she went out and said to her mother, Herodias, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. To me, this is unreal. There is no hesitancy on Herodias's part. It says that this was immediate and hasty. She knew exactly what she wanted. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oath and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head and went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. What a travesty here. Salome could have had up to half of the kingdom And instead, she's got blood on her hands. She has a useless head on the platter that she doesn't even want because she gives it to her mother. And not only that, but she is responsible for the death of the man that Jesus said was the greatest man to ever live, born of a woman. Salome was young. She was a child. Her age when she performed the dance, this may surprise you, it surprised me, could have been like prepubescent to young adult. So she was young, which is why she needed guidance, which is why she turned to her mother. She didn't know what to ask for. Now, as a mom of young kids myself, we've got an 11-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a five-year-old, and when I read this story, I can't help but think about and feel the weight of the influence, good or bad, that I have as a mother on my kids on my children, I can't help but think about the fact that my kids every day are asking me the same question. Mom, what should I ask for? Dad, what should I ask for? They may not be vocalizing it like that, but they're asking us, they're looking to us, what should I seek, what should I value? I need a true north, show me who I am, what's my identity, what's my purpose? What should I ask for, Mom, what should I ask for, Dad? We need to hear the cry of their hearts, parents, and we need to possess the answer. What should they ask for? Here's the answer. Son, daughter, ask for the kingdom. Ask for the kingdom. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. In fact, if you're taking notes, you want a title for this message, ask for the kingdom. Our lives should influence our kids to ask for the kingdom. The kingdom. We have great influence over our kids. God has placed you in your children's life and given you great influence. Salome was offered half the kingdom, but her mother influenced her to ask for the head instead. That's what I want to talk to you today about, about influence and about the kingdom of God. We're going to get into the kingdom and what that looks like a little bit later. This message, though, I want you to know it's for you today. If you have kids, if you don't have kids, if you care about the next generation, if you have grandkids, this message is for you today. In fact, turn to the person sitting next to you, poke them a little bit and say, this message is for me. This message is for me. Now if you would take a look at this video. All right, I am here with our youngest, Miss Sunny June, And we're gonna play a little game this morning called this or that. I'm gonna give her two options. And she doesn't know these questions, but I do. And I'm going to, uh, I've predicted which answer she's going to choose, which thing that she prefers. Okay, you ready to play, Sunny? You ready? Okay, here we go, here's the first one. Which one, this or that, Nike or Adidas? Adidas. Really, Adidas? I thought it would be Nike. Like, what about Gus and Bo? They're always wearing Nike. You're Adidas. Really? Okay. Well, shows what I know. Let's do the next one. Okay. I think I'm gonna get this one right. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Dogs. Absolutely. Why don't you like cats? Because they scratch you. Because they'll scratch you. They're jerks. Star track. Is it trek or track? Trek. Okay. Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars. Star Wars. Good job. Got it. Okay. Ready? Dessert question. All right. Andes or Brahms? Brahms. Brahms. Absolutely. All the way. Best ice cream. Pixar or DreamWorks? Pixar. Yes, ma'am. Pixar. That is the correct answer. Okay um justin timberlake or justin bieber mm. it's a hard one i know justin, justin bieber <laughs> all right good job now think about that when you answer this question okay mm. beard or no beard? beard beard yes we are beards all the way okay android or iphone iPhone, because you've never heard of Android, right? Because iPhone's the only way to go. All right. Okay, what about, uh, this is about chefs, okay? Bobby Flay or Gordon Ramsay? Gordon Ramsay. Who? Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay, correct. Football. Giants or Cowboys? Cowboys. Cowboys. Yep, that one also is for Daddy. Okay, pizza, okay? Pizza Hut or Mazios? Mazios, no hesitation. O U or O S U? Oh yeah. Ooh, That was quick. Uh-huh. All right. This is kind of a tricky one. Disney World or Disneyland? Disneyland. Oh, that was fast. Disneyland in California, right? Okay. Here's the last one. This is an important one. This is like a deal breaker. Okay. <laughs> Taco Bell or Taco Bueno? Taco Bueno. Taco Bueno. <laughs> she knows what's up. All right. Thank you, Sunny, for playing. (laughs) Okay, so the reason that I was able to predict what she would guess on almost all of those questions is because... I know how I, how I have influenced her over the last five years of her life. She prefers Disneyland over Disney World because we prefer Disneyland over Disney World. And she prefers the Cowboys over the Giants because we prefer the Cowboys over the Giants. In fact, I asked my eight-year-old and my 11-year-old the same questions, and they answered them all the same way, except for the Nike and Adidas question. So this shows us that our thoughts and our actions and our opinions, they're shaping our children. Look at this, this is from a human behavior expert and child development specialist. She says, it is through interactions with our parents that we learn what's good and bad, right and wrong, who we are and who we are to be. Although your genes lay out a blueprint for your potential development, they do not determine the way in which you will grow. Instead, it's the environment your parents create that instructs and directs your genes by enhancing some and turning off others. Who your child will be and how he will grow subsequently is up to parents. This means that your choices, what you do or what you say and don't say, what you do and don't do strongly influence who your child becomes. You are a key co-author in the book of your child's life. So it's through interactions with you, parents, grandparents, teachers, people working in, in kids classes, it's through interactions with you that children learn what to ask for What to value and what to seek. And if we want to teach them to seek and value and ask for the kingdom, then we as parents have got to be seeking and valuing and asking for the kingdom ourselves. Jesus told us in scripture, when he taught the disciples how to pray, he said, pray like this, our father in heaven, holy is your name, thy kingdom come. I want your kingdom to come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he told us to ask for the kingdom. But here's the thing. I don't think if we're being honest with ourselves that we're doing that. I know before I got this revelation this week, it wasn't something that I've been asking for intentionally. God, I asked for your kingdom. But after this, it's been on my mind nonstop. I see it in everything, how I want his kingdom to come in my life. So where's the disconnect? Why do we see that Jesus says to ask for the kingdom, but yet we don't, we don't ask for the kingdom. I think it's because we don't understand what the kingdom is. And scripture can kind of make it a mystery too. (laughs) When I started to study this this week, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what it says about the kingdom of God. We're to pray for it, we're to seek it. We're not just to seek it, but we're to seek it first above all else. It says the kingdom is coming, it's not here yet, It already is, it's present in your midst, it's upon you, but it's at hand. This sounds like a riddle in the back of a highlights magazine where you're just like, I don't, what's black and white and red all, I don't know. It's, this is the kingdom. It's coming, but it's not yet here. It already is, it's present, it's upon you, and yet it's at hand. So the kingdom can kind of be mysterious and I think sometimes we are just like, you know, we we'll just say it. I wanna build the kingdom, we're part of the kingdom. But what is it really? What does it really mean? I think too, because it's not a realm that we're experiencing or like we can put it in our GPS and just show up there, that we tend to just forget about it. But the word says, seek it first above all else. But if we don't really know what it is, then it's hard to do that. So let's look at what it is. And I think the best way to do that is just to answer these four questions. Okay, the first one is, What is God's kingdom? God's kingdom is a kingdom where his perfect agenda of justice and righteousness, like Pastor Dennis talked about last week, it's where those two things govern. They govern everything. The kingdom of God is like Eden, the garden of Eden before sin entered the world. It's a place where we live in his presence and under his rule and in his blessing. God's kingdom is a place where at every turn we're, we're bumping into his favor, his goodness, his power, his love, he rules and reigns and his perfect way of doing things uh, is happening. It's a realm where God is in charge, where God is in charge. It's a realm you can never earn your way into But when you turn to it, it's there. That's God's kingdom. Okay, so where is it? How do you get there? Where do you get to God's kingdom? Is it just in heaven? Well, it is in heaven because God rules and reigns and and rules and reigns in heaven. So the kingdom is in heaven, but it's also in you. Because if God's kingdom is wherever he reigns, if he rules and reigns in your heart, if he's been crowned the king of your heart, then the kingdom is not just in heaven, but it's also in you. It's not in the earth unless it's in you. Like Jesus is, God is not the ruler of this earth, Satan is. But if he is the ruler of your life, then the kingdom is in you. So it can be here in the earth operating, but it's there, it's in you, operating in you. Okay, so can we experience it on God's, uh, God's kingdom on earth? Yes. And what does that look like? Okay, if he's the king of your heart, if you've crowned him king, then the kingdom is in you and you can live like a king. Jesus made you a, or God made you a co-heir with Jesus Christ, his son. So we can live like a king, but not like a traditional king where it's just about palaces and eating and, and, and celebrating and, and drinking and the way that we picture a king in our minds. Romans 14:17 says the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what we can experience right now in the earth. If God's kingdom is in you, then you can experience a life of goodness, a life of peace, and a life of joy in the Holy Spirit right now in the earth. Even though the the schemes of the enemy are going on throughout the earth, you are different. You hold the peace of the kingdom in you. Okay, so why? Why should we ask for the kingdom? If I've already made God the king of my heart, and he has lordship in my life, then why do I need to ask for it, okay? There's three dimensions to this. One, we do it because he asks for it, or he asks us to ask for it, but here's what it kind of looks like. It's three three areas. First, we need to ask for it personally. Yes, you made him the Lord of your life, but really that's a daily decision. Jesus, I ask for your kingdom to come in me today. I want you to be the ruler and reigner of my life today. Your way over my way. You come and rule and reign in me. May your kingdom come in me personally. So first we ask for it to come personally to us. Next we ask for his kingdom to come in the lives of people around us your son or daughter that's away from the Lord, your spouse that's away from the Lord, that person that you're believing for, a great thing to pray over them is God, may your kingdom come into their lives. Because here's the truth, they're living in another kingdom. You're living in the kingdom, the kingdom's living in you, but they're living in the kingdom of darkness. They are not yet citizens of heaven. So when you pray for God's kingdom to come in them, you're saying, God, tear down walls, conquer the soul of this person so that they can become citizens of this kingdom with me. We gotta desire that. And then lastly, we pray for God's kingdom to come and rule and reign in the earth. So it's us personally, It's for people in our lives, people in the world, and then it's for the earth. When we pray for the kingdom of God to come, we're pleading that the kingdom of Satan would be toppled. And as believers, that should be a cry of our heart. We should not be happy with the ruler of this earth right now. We should not be happy with the way things are going. We should say, "God, your kingdom come." We want you to come and take your rightful place as ruler of this earth. May your kingdom come in this earth. We want to see Satan's lies, his schemes, his destructive strategies. We want to see him dethroned. We want to remove this tyrant in the earth. We want your kingdom to come to the earth. So. We pray for it personally. We pray for people to come in people's lives and we pray for God's kingdom to come in the earth. And this is what we want the cry of our kids' hearts to be. That when they pray, they come to us, they see us. What should I ask for? It's ask for the kingdom. Ask for God to rule and reign in your life. Ask for God to to conquer the hearts of those people. Ask for God to rule and reign in the world. I want my kids asking for the kingdom instead of walking around with a dead head, useless works, dead works, things that produce death in their life. I want them to be kingdom minded. I want my kids to live a life of goodness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I don't want them to settle for death when Jesus has offered us, not just half of some earthly kingdom that will fade away, but he's offered us all of his kingdom. So if we're gonna teach our kids to ask for these things, um, we have to be asking for them, and we also have to be paying attention to what we are carrying. What are you carrying as parents that's affecting and influencing your children? So to do this, we're gonna backtrack a little bit to Herodias and Salome, and I want you to see this little detail in this story that hopefully opens your eyes. Mark 6, 19 says, So Herodias, bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. The NIV says it like this. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. She nursed a grudge against John the Baptist. Now, I know it's Father's Day and I know you didn't come to church to hear a message about nursing a baby, but just bear with me, okay? Because there's some imagery here that I promise you will never forget, okay? So nursing a baby is all-consuming, okay, I remember when I had Gus, our firstborn, I read all the books, I knew that I was gonna have to feed him every two to three hours, but there's no class you can take and there is no book you can read that will actually prepare you mentally from what that looks like in reality. Like, okay, every two to three, I mean, your world revolves around feeding that baby. And when a baby is nursing, They go with you everywhere, right? If you're going out to eat, the baby comes with you. I remember the first time I went out to eat with Bo, our second uh, child. And uh, with Gus, I was too afraid to go out anywhere, like for six weeks. I was like, I can't, like this isn't gonna work. But with Bo, I had a little bit more experience. So let's go, it was my birthday. She was one week old. We went to Outback Steakhouse. I bring with me like the My Breast Friend pillow, the tent, and I'm covered up and I'm feeding her, nursing her, and the waiter's like taking my, Order and of course he knows what's going. Everybody knows what's going on underneath the tent. But at home it's different. There is no tent. You just nurse and you cradle and you coddle and you pay attention to that baby. It gets all of your attention. All the focus is on them. The baby comes with you into your bedroom. Uh, it sleeps in the little bassinet next to you. It's there in the bedroom. It goes with you to the dinner table. Wherever you go, the baby goes with you. And you're all. Your world is revolved around feeding and nursing that baby. Now I want you to think about that in relation to Herodias and her nursing this grudge. Nursing this grudge, her hatred against John the Baptist, it was something that was all-consuming. It was something that she was coddled up with, that she was cuddled up with, patting its little bottom, bringing it with her wherever she went. She'd go to Outback Steakhouse, and she'd try to cover up the fact that she hated John the Baptist, but everybody knew that that hatred was brewing. It was brooding under the surface. She would take that little grudge with her into the bedroom. She'd take that little grudge with her wherever she was going, whatever she was doing, on vacation, at the dinner table, the grudge came with her. She was nursing a grudge. all-consuming around the clock where she went, the grudge went with her. Now, she nursed this grudge so intensely that when her daughter, her own flesh and blood was offered half the kingdom, all she could think about was the grudge and her own selfish desires. What also is crazy about this is that when her mother threw out the option, like let's ask for John's head, That Salome wasn't like, mom, no, sick. What's wrong with you? Salome just went along with it. And here's why. Because Salome hated her, John the Baptist, as much as her mother did. She probably didn't understand why. In the same way Sunny didn't understand why she chose iPhone over Android, she just knows that she, she chose that because she's heard us talk about iPhones. She's never heard us talk about Android. But the hatred of John the Baptist was something that was, she was nursing, something that she was exposing her, her daughter to, something that was regular dinner conversation. So it made perfect sense. This or that, Salome, half the kingdom or John the Baptist head on the platter. We'll go with John the Baptist's head on the platter. Everybody's in agreement because of how she had been nursing that grudge. Think about this. Herodias was so consumed with the grudge, she wasn't even thinking about the kingdom. Like that option wasn't even on the table for her. So here's my question to you this morning Are you thinking about the kingdom? Are you thinking about the kingdom? Are you kingdom minded? Are you thinking about the kingdom? If you want your kids to ask for the kingdom, then you've got to be thinking about the kingdom. Matthew 19, 14. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven doesn't just belong to you. It can belong to your kids. No. But are you nursing something that's hindering them from asking for the kingdom. Maybe you're, maybe you're nursing a grudge of your own. Like, not that you want to behead somebody, you know, but you're offended. Somebody deeply offended you. Somebody corrected you and it wasn't their place to correct you. Somebody hurt you. Maybe it's an absent father. Maybe it is a, a uh, an ex spouse. Maybe it's church hurt. You know, I've found that church hurt is as hard for anybody to get over. So what do they do? They, they pick up that offense and they nurse it and they take that church hurt with them to small group and they take that church hurt to their new church hurt and they take that church hurt. It it wakes them up in the night and they're nursing that church hurt. They don't know how to let it go. Or maybe, maybe it's a spirit of fear. Maybe you fear failure. Maybe you feel that your, your kids are going to fail. Maybe, maybe it's tornadoes, disaster, disease. It's just this theme that, that that it projects your future. It's projecting your future. You're too afraid to step out and do what God's called you to do. That fear is there, it's lingering. And you try to cover it up, but everybody knows that that fear is what's driving you. And you nurse it as you watch the news and you think about all the bad things that are happening and you talk about it with everybody and you get all the updates on your phone. You nurse it, you nurse it, you nurse it. Maybe it's entitlement. It's my opinion is the only opinion that matters and rules don't apply to me rules don't apply to my kids and and kid Baby cry in the movie theater. It doesn't matter if it's bothering everybody else, or or this church doesn't doesn't meet my need exactly. They don't have a ministry that, that caters ex- right directly to me, so I'm leaving that church. And then I'm going to leave another church. And I'm you're that church hopping. You just nurse in that spirit of entitlement. It's all about me. And I'm telling you, as you nurse that spirit of entitlement, it gets full, and then it spits up all over you. And then you smell. <laughs> then you smell like a spoiled brat and you know what that scent's gonna get off on your kids i see it i see it all the time that that spirit of entitlement that the parents have that gets off on your kids man and they smell spoiled and everywhere they go it's not about god's kingdom it's about their little kingdom What are you nursing? Maybe it's achievement, the need to achieve. That's what your world revolves around. You're nursing that need to achieve at the dinner table when you answer that phone because heaven forbid you missed that call from your boss. You're nursing that need to achieve when you let your kids miss church for club sports because you think they're gonna go pro. Good luck with that one, right? Good luck. Get your kids in church. You, you, you rock a that need to achieve. You rock by, you nurse it. It intrudes into different areas that it's not supposed to intrude upon because you're nursing it. Maybe it's shame, maybe it's rejection, maybe it's selfishness, depression, insecurity. We're all nursing something or some things. And here's the thing, whatever you're holding on to, whatever you're bringing to the table, it's affecting your kids. It's directly affecting them and hindering them from asking for the kingdom. You're teaching them to settle for dead, dead works, things that don't produce, things that are useless. It's like, oh, I didn't even want this. This is not what I want. Instead of asking for the kingdom and seeking first God's rule and reign in your life and the lives of people and in this world world. And because this is so crucial, I want to take a moment here and just before we move on, like we're going to put down these things. And so I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. The message isn't over. Like I got more after this. Okay. But just bow your heads and close your eyes. And what we're going to do is we're just going to get real and just ask God, God, search us just there in your own. You don't say it out loud. You don't have to repeat after me but I want you to make this your prayer in your heart. God, search me, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, point out anything in me that offends you, point out those things that we're nursing that you want us to lay down, point out those things that we're nursing that we didn't even realize had latched on and are sucking the life out of us and influencing our kids just gonna get real quiet and real still and I want you to just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, bring things to your mind in a loving way, saying, hey, I've got better for you. Let's lay this down. God, we thank you for pointing things out to us. We repent right there in your heart. Just repent, forgive me for nursing these things that I shouldn't be nursing. God, I want your kingdom to come in my life. We let these things go by faith. Lord, help us to remember this moment when this week that baby starts crying and calling at us and wants it to pick it back up. Remember this moment that no, I want God's kingdom. I'm not settling for less than, than the kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Help us to remember how we're influencing and impacting our kids. If, we've, if any of this stuff has gotten off on our kids, Lord, we just rebuke it in Jesus' name. Thank you that a grace just covers them, hovers over them. Thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here's what happened. You just cold turkey winged that little sucker. Putting it down, no more, okay? But here's what the Lord showed me. We can't just like lay that thing down. He wants us to also pick something up. And I was like, okay, so what do you want us to pick up? What do we need to be nursing in order to influence our kids to ask for the kingdom? And as I was thinking through this, I, I thought of Matthew 16, 24. The Lord dropped it in my heart. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When that verse came, I was like, oh, I don't wanna have to explain that verse. Like, this is really hard to put into words. I've never really been able to put into words like what it means to take up your cross. But I knew that's what we had to take up. We're laying this down. What are we gonna take up in its place? We're gonna take up our cross. But what does that mean? Is he talking about like a literal old rugged cross that we gotta take up and carry with us? He's not talking about that. He's talking about our own personal cross. And I came across this article by Lisa Bevere that explained this so well, I will never forget what it means and what it looks like to carry my cross. And I wanna share with you some insight and revelation from her. She said she was on a journey to figuring out what it meant to carry her cross. This scripture was like, what does this mean, God? And she just began to meditate on the cross thinking about what the cross meant to her and her life. And then she decided to pull social media. So she has you know, thousands and thousands of followers and things on social media. She puts this post out there that's like, hey, give me one word descriptions of the cross. And so she gets all these, uh, these replies back and she takes all the replies and she puts them into a word cloud. And then she creates this picture right here. And as she looked at this picture, of the cross, she heard the Holy Spirit, behold the cross. All these words and more represent the cross. Carry these with you into your everyday world. What does a cross mean to you? What are those one word descriptions of the cross? What does the cross mean to you? In fact, in our small groups this week, we're gonna be doing this exercise where we go and we talk about what the cross means to you. Maybe you even make a picture like this this week of what the cross means to you and this is what you carry, and this is what you pick up, and this is what you nurse. What if, what if you started to nurse love? Love was something that your world revolves around. You pick up love, you carry it with you. It goes with you to Outback Steakhouse, although you don't cover it up. You let that love shine. You pick up freedom, you pick up forgiveness. This is something that you're bringing to the dinner table with you. The, the, the cross goes with you. On vacation, The cross goes with you to your office. The cross goes with you to your school. Wherever you're at, you pick up the cross and you take it with you. These are the things that we've got to nurse. These are the things that we've got to, to feed regularly, to think about regularly. We've got to pick up our cross. When we do this, when we carry our cross, when we nurse these things, we show our kids what the kingdom looks like. And when we show our kids what the kingdom looks like and we really are caring and nursing these things, it makes it attractive to them. So when they come to us and say, what should I ask for? What should I seek? What should I value? And we say, ask for the kingdom. Okay, I'm gonna do that. I see that. I've seen you live. I've seen the kingdom. I've seen you. I've seen the kingdom in you. I know what it looks like. It's attractive. To me, What if every day we pray, God, may everything that the cross represents, the crucifixion of your son represents, may that be fully expressed in me and through me. That's what I want to be carrying. That's what I want to be nursing. Listen to me, parents. It's not enough for you to just carry your kids in here on Sundays. If you really want them to ask for the kingdom, you've got to be carrying your cross. A lot of kids are leaving the church. And here's why. Their parents carried them to church every Sunday, but they never saw their parents carrying the cross. They saw their parents quoting scriptures, memorizing, memorizing scriptures, but they didn't see their parents living those scriptures. They saw their parents reading the Bible, but then they saw their parents treating each other in a way that contradicts the Bible or treating other people in a way that contradicts the Bible. They think it's hypocrisy, so they leave the church. You have got to, if you really want to influence your kids, read all the parent books, discipline them, spank them, love them, all those things. But if you really want to influence your kids, you've got to teach them to ask for the kingdom. And the way that you do that is by choosing to not nurse things that produce death. And you ask for the kingdom yourself and you pick up the cross and you carry it. Children hear what you say, but they believe what you do. What are you doing? Is it all talk or are you carrying your cross? What if you lived your life like you believed that the kingdom of God is a real realm where God reigns, where his justice reigns, where his righteousness reigns? What if you, you live like you really believed that the kingdom of God is real and that that was what you were seeking first absolutely before anything else in the world. This is what's most precious to you is God's kingdom, his rule and reign in your life. If you live like that, then your kids will begin to pray prayers like, God, may your kingdom come in my life. It's not about me, I want your will. It's not, it's not about, I want more money, I want promotion. I, I wanna find the right wife. I, it's just, may your kingdom come. You rule and reign in my life. And if that's the case, then I'm good. If you're ruling and reigning in my life, that's what I want. We teach our kids to do this when we take up our cross. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here today and you're listening to this and you're thinking, I don't know if God has been crowned the king of my heart. I don't know if his kingdom is in me. Like I've never made that decision or maybe I have, but I've strayed from it. And he is definitely, I've definitely not been seeking him and his rule and reign in my life. I've been doing things my way. And to be honest, my way is not working. And I'm frustrated and I want him to rule and reign in my life. If that's you today, I want you to know that God's not mad at you, but he's excited for this opportunity for you to invite him to be the ruler and the reigner and the Lord of your life. He wants you to be a citizen of this kingdom that's available to you to experience here on earth, but for all of eternity in heaven as well. So if that's you, in fact, everybody, we're gonna say this prayer together, but if that's you, I want you to say these words and really mean it and know that as you say these words, a miracle is taking place. Your old spirit is passing away and your new spirit is being born. A spirit that has been perfected, that is righteous, a spirit that says, it's not about being perfect because Jesus, you were perfect in my place. A spirit that when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees white robes of righteousness. A miracle is about to take place. If we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts, you will be born again. So if you, if you would, church, say this with me. Heavenly Father, I repent. I ask you to forgive me. I confess, I confess that you are Lord I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead, from the dead. And, I'm and I'm asking you for your kingdom to come, kingdom to come. in me, in me. I, ask ruler, I ask you to be the ruler reigner and lord of my life, of my life. I surrender to you Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give him a hand. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.